0: Hi everyone, my name is Melanie Hempy and I'm with Strong. and today we're going to talk about the immersion levels that our gamers get themselves into and we have a guest again today, Michelle, why don't you introduce yourself?
1: Hi, yeah, my name is Michelle Barrett and I am a first generation mom of screens starting with the Game Boy and seeing exactly for the last two decades what's happened in our society and it was a, a devastating trip for me and my family. And it has not slowed down. And I went into grad school to um, become a professional counselor, um, Dell DS Counseling Services, if you need some one-on-one help online or in person. And I just have a lot of information, sometimes too much to even get out. But the idea is to, to equip your gamers so they know what's happening to them, that it's not just you always telling them to stop, that they learn why they're having a hard time stopping and why they don't feel good.
0: Yeah, that's a really great point because we get parents all the time asking, um, asking us, you know, can you come talk to our gamer? <laughs> and I'm um, like, well, I'm going to teach you how to do that. I'm going to equip you, equip you, the parent, to do that, and train you how to come be a coach around this. But that's a really good point, Michelle. I think the things we're going to talk about today are super important for you, for your, for you to understand as a parent, but also for your gamer to understand. So let's just jump right into it, and um, we're going to start with uh, the first level of immersion. And so there are three levels. um, And the first one is just a casual gamer. Now the casual gamer is, you might think, why does that have to be a level? It's still a little bit of an immersion level. But when your son, and we're gonna just use um, boys today, um, because mostly we have trouble with our boys gaming, even though we know that girls also um, have problems. But instead of going back and forth between son and daughter, we'll just say son. Um, so, for the casual gamer, when you when your son is a casual gamer, it's really easy for them to get off the game. That's that's the first thing about it. Um, maybe they only play a couple times a month, and they can still maintain a lot of relationships with family and friends. If you have a ca- casual gamer, you feel like you don't have any problems. In your house and you think and you look around at all these other people and you read all these blog posts and see all this stuff it's like what the heck who has trouble with games? my son's fine he loves football and his baseball much better than he loves his game so you're fine you're not having any problems Um, but some of the other things about a casual gamer is they communicate very well and they can make eye contact when they're in conversation with an adult and they're not showing signs of behavioral changes when you take the game away. That's probably the biggest sign, Michelle, wouldn't you say that if you're, if you're in the green zone and you're fine, it's really easy to take that game away and the kid is fine with it.
1: Because they're excited about other things in their life. They have interests, they love their family, they enjoy their friendships they've built, they you know take on tasks of helping out in the house, doing their homework. They get all that internal reward, which is really what we're trying to teach our children in the first place. And all of that will get sucked out of them in no time through these games because it's built up in the game. It's much easier to get there, but I don't want to launch out to that.
0: But, but I mean, that's how, you know, you have a casual gamer when they get their dopamine from other things in their life. They have other activities. They're involved in class and school Mm -hmm. clubs and sports and all that. Um, They have friends over. I know one sign of a casual gamer is if they are gaming and the doorbell rings, they can jump up and run outside and play with that friend. Um, If they have more than a casual relationship with their game, that's probably not going to happen. They'll they'll leave the game easily. And like my, my son says, that you know that you are a casual gamer when after about 30 minutes or an hour, you really get bored with the game. He said, that's really the difference. The kids who are not getting bored are the ones that you need to worry about. So I think that's kind of the sign, of, you know, getting bored after 30 minutes. Um, and I think parents at this point really don't have any red flags. They just think mm-hmm. gaming is an activity. So the next, um, the next level is the at-risk gamer. Now this one becomes more interesting <laughs> because he starts to have more signs that we talked about, before about, you know, just the warning signs mm-hmm. and the very first thing that I notice with at risk gamers are they have to play every day. It mm-hmm. it just has become I mean, maybe they maybe maybe your your child, and you have rules and you say, well, you can't play during the week and only on the weekends, but boy, they got to still play every day on the weekend. But it's it's becoming more of the time spent. They are increasing the amount of time that they're spending on the game, and they're talking about the game a lot. It's becoming more integrated into their world. They they might be doing school projects around the game. Um, you're starting to hear more conversation around the dinner table about this. Um, you know, it's just becoming more ob- obsessive,
1: I guess. And. and it was- good that becomes that's all their friends are about they've lost their friends from football and the other activities they used to enjoy doing and it just becomes you know gamer friends and that becomes a huge influence and it's really hard against you know the parents what they want them to do and it's good to start talking to the parents too about it if you're the first one to notice it you know (laughs) or think you might be check in you're doing the family a favor so this at risk category
0: really now is the mom and dad you're starting to see that his more and more of his friends are gaming friends and these may be boys that they were in little league with before maybe they were on some teams and then all of a sudden you notice that they're kind of getting off these teams and they're all migrating toward the games and and to michelle's point it's a super idea you've got to start having conversations with other moms and saying, you know, when they come over to your house to play, let's limit the game time. Let's make sure they get outside. Let's make sure they, they're not just upstairs in the playroom playing on their game all the time. Um, One of the telltale signs of at-risk gamer is that they begin to drop out of other activities. And this at-risk category usually starts to happen in middle school. At least that's what I notice. is that middle school is hard enough, you know, already. And so it's much easier for them to drop out of their sports and start quitting things because the game is getting more and more interesting. The other thing about this level is that he's starting to have some anger outbursts. And, Michelle, why don't you talk a second about why? Why is he throwing the controller and why do you just notice that he gets really angry at a sibling maybe that walks in the room to interrupt his game? What's going on in his head?
1: few different variables one is they're exhausted so we all know we're more short-tempered and they've been on the game too long and that's why the parent came in to intervene and then the other part they're angry because you know maybe they're right in the middle of a raid and all their buddies are depending on them and how dare you make me stop so then it's going to be that frustration level and then it's just the typical withdrawal effect which um can happen every time they turn off that game once they're getting you know to that at risk they don't come off fresh and ready to transition into something else you know I've worked with preschoolers before and I know which ones that are you know have us access and I asked them outright it's like how long does it take before you feel good and you want to go outside and play on the playground and they they looked at me they can't really answer it yet because it's like what but there was like an aha moment yeah so because they feel sick it's a game sickness
0: Gosh, that's really interesting. I think our kids are just kind of crying out for us to help them. I know.
1: Yeah. It's they're, they're not getting... just a typical tantrum, you know, of, you know pushing mm-hmm. your buttons to see if they can get away with something. There's something much deeper going on. Well, and it is that addictive
0: quality, and we, we call it more of a dependency with kids, mm-hmm. but um, the, the issue around this at-risk uh, category Also you're dealing with a child who is starting to figure out how to negotiate Mm -hmm. his life around the game. And what I mean by that is he wants to be rewarded with game time and mom and dad, you may start rewarding him with, with game time when he does his homework or his chores. And so the, the games are now becoming a negotiating tool and this happens in that at risk stage where you kind of got one foot in and one foot out. That's sort of the clue that you're um, at risk when you think, okay, some days he's fine and he's outside playing and we're having a great time, but then other times he's not fine. And I know we're kind of getting out of balance, but one of the signs kind of behind the scenes that I've noticed with, with families is that when their children start figuring out how to use the game as a negotiating tool, I mean, what, what other things can you see, Michelle, about this before we move on to, this, to the uh-huh. final
1: thing? Where do you think that started? It started back when we used them as pacifiers for them. Yeah. So we kind of taught them to do it this way. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sorry to say that, but I mean, they were brought out, you know, and more so now the games are not just any of these screen time activities are for babies you know it does calm them down so they their first understanding of self soothing is coming from that gadget
0: you know that's a really good point because the game is acting like a pacifier for him and so when things are uncomfortable when life isn't going so well when you're cranky and bored and angry and hungry and lonely that's what you want to grab for and so when you start to see those signs of um, of your your son gaming for those reasons that's definitely a sign and the other thing is when they come home from school if that's the first thing they want to do like they don't want to sit down and talk with you at the kitchen table or eat a snack they just run directly to their room that is a sign that your kid is at risk because if, that, if that's what he's been thinking about all day, he's been thinking about it on the way home on the bus he's talked to his friends they all want to get on the game right away that's kind of becoming a little obsessive and that's a bad habit. Mm-hmm. And that trigger of walking in the door, immediately going to my game is a bad habit to start. And um, that is a huge red flag for parents.
1: Plus, so, when they come home, you wanna hug and you know, sit down with them and you know, have a snack and they're gonna come in already pre-calculating how they're gonna win their way to back up to their room and do this without a big scene. Or that they, you know, maybe come and sit down five minutes with you and eat two cookies and they're gone again. Yeah. You know, they're blocking <laughs> so many things in their life from the singular obsessive, you know. And But the games are designed that way. It's all yeah. or nothing. That's why it's hard to be a casual gamer, really, for very long. Because it's not the nature of the game.
0: So it's very hard. That's a very good point. It is so hard. To be a healthy casual gamer because it's sort of like a slot machine in fact it's exactly like a slot machine it you know you have to keep playing when you're winning you have to keep playing when you're losing and the only way to like step away from it is to literally you know leave Vegas <laughs> and not be tempted by it yeah. but let's um let's just say for this middle level this at-risk gamer our parents are now starting to have sort of this gut feeling that something isn't right And this is typically where we find them at our workshops or they're emailing me um, and YouTube about, you know what, something isn't right. And maybe there's one or two episodes um, until they move into the next level, which is the dependent gamer. Mm -hmm. And this, you know, again, is sort of the addiction level. But we like to say, um, we like to use the term dependency because for kids, it really is more of a dependency. And the thing that doesn't really make this a full-fledged addiction until it gets super bad when your kids are a little bit older, um, is the fact that there's really nothing shameful about gaming. I mean, gaming is a fun activity, right? It's a game. (laughs) This is what really tripped me up with my oldest son. I thought, well, how could you grow dependent on something like a game? Little did I know that we had all these signs and symptoms in our house right under my nose, and I had no idea. So I'm going to go over a couple things about what a dependent gamer looks like, first of all, the, the time changes with their gameplay. So he is playing every day. If your son is playing his video game every day, he is a dependent gamer. He, he this is the category that he, he falls in. It's very hard for a casual gamer to play every day. Once it becomes a daily habit, um, you you've got it in a different category. He's thinking about it a lot and he's, um, Wanting uh, harder games and different games, and he's experimenting with all the things out there, and he wants to spend more money on the game. Um, his anger outbursts are starting to increase, and again, Michelle, speak a little bit about the adrenaline and um, you know just the hormones that are released when they're in these fighting games.
1: Right, well, there was a um, in London back in 2006, it was the first uh, research paper that I came across back then, and I was reading it in 2006, but they compared it to, you know, ADHD drugs, Ritalin. It had that stimulating effect. So, you know, I had a child that, you know, was considered, and I had problems with the Ritalin. And it's like, oh my gosh. So I got him squared away and that wasn't an issue. But my younger child now is having like injections of, you know, amphetamines through his video game. So that was when it was a bona fide addiction. That's when it came out. And this was like a Hammersmith university in london in 2006 so if you're just thinking about what you know about stimulants just starbucks you know and three shots of what it does but we're talking about a child child whose brain is not developed yet or their body so you're in this fight and flight mode combating you know having the time of your life at least you think you are but try to tell them to stop and they walk away and they just plummet and they're sick you know and it's a game sickness and that's the withdrawal so there's just so many factors that are going into this. It's not just a matter. It's like, <clears throat> yes or no. And this game's okay. That game's not okay. They're all having an effect on them, whether it's yeah. a gamer or not, you know, you're playing with something that is dangerous. It is. We see it all around us now. I think that's
0: such a great point that you can be a dependent gamer even if you're just playing Fortnite or something silly. And you can also be a dependent gamer if you're playing something more serious like Call of Duty or World of Warcraft. Mm -hmm. Your your child playing Minecraft can be a dependent gamer. I think parents really get confused because they think, oh, well, he's just playing Minecraft. He's learning, he's doing something um, that's good for him. But all these elements start to come to play um, in all the games. And so what Michelle's talking about is the limbic area of your child's brain is being stimulated. Um, they're getting a lot of blood supply and those connections are getting super well paved in that pleasure center of their brain and the dopamine is just dumping out by the Mm -hmm. bucketfuls. And when this starts to happen, the judgment area starts to shut down Mm -hmm. the frontal cortex, which we already know is not fully connected in kids anyway, but it's starting to shut down. So that's why you see the anger outbursts and that's why you see these meltdowns. They can't control the change they can't control the change in that dopamine the minute that i figured out all this was it was way late for me for my son but the minute i figured out and i did the research i talked to some neuroscientists and figured out this was a chemical thing going on in his brain that was a total game changer for me i finally understood it
1: Finally, it made sense once I heard that. You know, it's like holy crumb! You know, it's obvious. My son is not some weak little, you know, demented creature who's crawling on the floor. You know, so upset. When is this going to pass? When I finally made him detox, but yeah. it was like the worst hangover possible. You know, that's what I told him. Yeah, now that's it. and it's don't never really- go to Las Vegas because you're going to have a problem when you grow up. <laughs> you go to Las Vegas. It's the same dynamics behind those games as what your game's been designed to do.
0: Well, and I think it's super important for them to understand that, that, you know, honey, this isn't your fault. And yeah. um, and I'm here to really help you with this. You've got to mm-hmm. see this. And you almost have like this out-of-body experience to understand, hey, mm-hmm. my brain doesn't like this very much. And it's designed this way. So the other couple of signs is that your, your kids by this time, by the point where they are dependent, they really are interested in other things. In fact, video games are the number one thing in their life. It is under I mean there's nothing that they like more than their video games they can't really list three or four other things that they like as much they start to show signs of um, narcissism which is another problem with dependent gamers because when you live in a game you Mm -hmm. are the man (laughs) and you are running the show and so you think that when you're in real life outside of the game that everybody should listen to you the same way that they listen to you in the game and they just don't really understand why people aren't listening to them. And so they can come across very cocky. There's a lot of change in their daily habits. And by now, if you have a a dependent gamer, they're probably lying about some things. They're probably staying up late. They're not getting enough sleep. There's all kinds of eating issues and personal hygiene issues. And it's becoming harder and harder to manage. And what's actually happening behind the scenes is that they are actually more comfortable in their virtual game life than they are in real life. And what you're seeing in the dependent category is they are sort of morphing and making that switch Mm -hmm. from real life
1: to virtual life. Well, that's what they practiced, you know, when you think about our long-term gamers if they would put that time and effort into something else they'd you'd be making all kinds of money and be, have respect and and feel you know proud and all those things that the game is snatched away from them
0: right so you're exactly right that touches on a great point that their game is morphing into their activities and so by this time, if their game is their number one thing, their brain is actually changing around it. Mm-hmm. It's actually, be- they're becoming what they practice. Yes. So, you know, we know if you practice piano and baseball, you get better at piano and baseball. And if you practice video games, you get better at video games. But the problem is that you get, you don't get better at real life <laughs> when you're practicing video games so much. The,
1: the Basically- first point. Yeah, real quick, baseball, you know, and piano playing, you're not going to sit there for 10, 12 hours, wake up at three in the morning and go back and do it some more, you know, and sneak around to do it. There's a little bit of difference going on between these activities.
0: Right. So those healthy activities have natural stopping points. In yes. games that's like, a stopping, stopping point.
1: Up. Yeah. We should talk so, about games, the games to avoid, you know, so they don't move along this timeline into the problem.
0: Right. Um, yeah. Well, the, the slippery slope is... You know, some games are probably better than others as far as getting your kid dependent. But it's very hard to tell your child, oh, you play this one, but not this one. And a lot of parents think they can do that. and They they just can't. So the final thing about the dependent gamer that I just want to touch on quickly before we close is that they're displaying antisocial behavior. Mm -hmm. And what I mean is kind of touching on that verbal abuse again, they're kind of rude to people sometimes. They may be hurting their siblings, like I said, when they're interrupting their gameplay. They're disrespecting their parents. Um, They're disrespecting other authority figures in their life because, again, in the game, those rules don't apply, and so they're trying to act like they're in a game, and they're not. And the bullying that happens, the lying, um, even destroying family property, like throwing a, a laptop or throwing a screen, cheating is also something that is not really... Um, looked on as really a bad thing when you're a dependent gamer because it is sort of like a drug. So you're trying to do everything you can and you justify everything in your mind in order to get back to your game. Mm-hmm. But the biggest thing that happens with a dependent gamer is that they become very detached from their family. Yes. And Michelle, if you could just say one or two things about how important the attachment is during the teen years.
1: Well, looking at the distress that they have when they're being a bully and they're breaking things. And, you know, deep down, they are suffering. Don't think that this is all good and fun, even when they're playing because they want to detach from that game and move somewhere else, but they cross the line and they're unable to do it. So all that bravado that's going on is just a covering of a very broken child right then. And that came from, because the game detached him from the family. And that became his source of self-soothing. And, you know, there can be problems at home. There can be problems with their friendships. It starts not just how addicting the damn game is. There's vulnerabilities that cross our children over into problem gaming. But the number one way to fix it is to bring back love of love and attachment that's what everybody needs to to heal and and it's what they're missing and they're never going to sit there and say i'm sorry you know i'm wrong or i need help that is against the gamer code so you're going to have to work around that because that's what they need to say they do because then you're on the right path and then they'll feel better everybody needs to put their white flag up you know nobody wants to walk around with their red flag all the time because that's what's on them yeah (laughs) but you know what that's such a great point because
0: what you're saying is that our kids can't rescue themselves. We have to go rescue them. And even yes. when they're teenagers, mm-hmm. and I know mom and dad out there, you're feeling like, well, there's no way. He's 15. He's so far gone. I'm never going to get him back. And I do get that it is harder when they're that age. In fact, by the time they hit 13, it mm-hmm. gets harder. But there is a way to help them. and There is a way to get them back. And it, it is about spending more time with your kids. And I always say this to parents, and sometimes it just lands on a deaf ear, and I understand that. But first of all, your kids' brains are not developed yet. They are not fully connected with their frontal cortex. They cannot make these hard decisions on their own. So they need you to do that. And what I say is that you, when you spend more time with your kid, that will start to solve all your screen problems in your house. I know it's hard. I know we're all working really hard. We were all super busy, but the amount of time, even if you just sit in a room with them and play the piano with them or read a book with them or go for a walk, go take the dog for a walk, plan these things in your life. And we have tons and tons and tons of ideas and ways to help you back on our site on screenstrong.com. So go there. Um, There's a very specific learning tab there. If you click on learn, one of the tabs. You can actually go through a little mini workshop there and it's free and it's kind of self-guided and it will open up with the assessment um, where you can figure out if your kids have problems and then it goes through the brain development, the brain science. We take a deep dive into video games and a deep dive into social media and it's kind of like our workshop in a a box on the the computer, really easy to do. And then um, it's also really important um, and Michelle, I want you just to close with this. I want us to close with this concept how important it is to find another like-minded family to help you um get through this
1: and and because it's really hard to make any changes on your own right don't feel shame speak to it you'll be surprised how many parents are going to raise their hands like it's happened in my home too Yes. Um, the children deserve to be saved it's going to be much easier on you the younger they are, and especially do not wait till they're out of the house to really believe this is a problem, because then it's really hard to turn around. But they're suffering. They want to be saved. And the worst right. saved they are. And, and all of this that we're bringing to you right now is to help you start that journey and stick on that path. And don't you relapse. Because, <laughs> yeah, don't relapse. Yeah. Stick with it. Yeah. And they fear get t- bigger and bigger, and they watch you. They're waiting for you to like, you know, give in because you know what they do too. They fluctuate. It's like, okay, I'm going to cut back or I won't game for a little while yeah. just to get a soft face. The next thing you know, they're back in there doing it. So
0: yeah, Why, but they're eyes dying. Open. Eyes wide open. I think they're, um, I think they're just dying for us to care about them. And I, I use, you know, I, I've made such a mistake with my oldest and I let that be sort of his thing and his babysitter. And it was like, I feel so bad now because I can't go back and redo it. And that's the thing. The thing with childhood is you only get one shot. You can't redo it. So figure out if your son is a casual gamer, an at-risk gamer, or a dependent gamer. Go to our website. Take some actions there. Take our Screen Strong Challenge. We will help you. That's only seven days. You can do it. Anybody can do it for seven days. And um, we'll be back next time with another great topic for you. So thanks for... um, coming today michelle thank you so much for sharing everything great and we'll be back soon so stay strong